Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Daniel Hendrick Experience podcast, where every Sunday we interview internationally acclaimed opera singers. For those of you who are here for the first time, I would just encourage you to like the podcast and also to help keep the lights on and keep everything running. If you could become a subscriber, it's only $3 a month. We would really appreciate that. Well, today, my friends, we have a very special guest, as we always do. <laughs> but this gentleman not only is an internationally acclaimed opera singer, but Mr. Mark Sampson is also the president and founder of Berlin Opera Academy, Vancouver Summer Opera Workshops, and was the co-founder of Lyric Opera Studio Weimar. Mark Sampson enjoys a successful career as both an active bass in the international opera scene and in directing singing academies. So I'm super excited to meet Mark in person. He was recommended to me by our very first guest, John Kyes. And John said, you've got to meet this guy because he's helping so many young singers to establish international careers. So ladies and gentlemen, let's bring in the very special Mark Sampson. I, I am so impressed. You have an awesome voice. You have a, a fantastic instrument, and I loved uh, the your compositions as well. Um, Thank you. Like uh, I, I dabble a little in composing myself, and and uh, so I have even more respect because I think when you you've tried to, and struggled through to actually see something come at the end result, just what an what an awesome. I don't know. There must have been some moments for you that you really just thought, man, I I did it. That that. Uh, Anyway, I don't know if it, it lands like that for you, but... Uh... Uh, when I did my Tango de Amor that you probably heard with the Istanbul yeah, Symphony, yeah. that was the first time I heard it with orchestra, and it almost brought me to tears. It was just... And this orchestra, 80-piece orchestra, right, in the <laughs> opera house there in Istanbul. And so my wife is in the audience, and here they are playing my song. But the 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 musicians didn't know I wrote it until after the first time through and my wife said you could see them the one on the left over here I don't know what instrument that was figured it out from the score and it went all the way around they were tapping each other no and they way. gave me this musician's ovation which was really wonderful uh, that's special to be appreciated that's as a special. composer is a is a different equation you know I, well, and not yeah. only that, I think it's a really rare, like, I don't know, it's just such a small subset of people that actually get to have that, the pleasure of then bringing it to life. I think for me, the nicest thing about singing is you have the best, best seat in the house because it's in you. <laughs> <laughs> it's this roar that comes from within. And I think, um, I think, yeah, when I think of that, that must have been so, so, I don't know, special. And also, I don't know for you, but for me, having you know, like your wife having someone meaningful in the audience. Um, it just, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I maybe march to the beat of the different drama. I don't really care so much. If I appreciate that there is an audience. I appreciate that they, you know, give us the ability to do this thing. But, you know, there's usually just a few people that are really, like, really singing it for this person and care. And Wonderful. that must have been special. Must have been really yeah, special. Yeah, that was really the best moment of my career was that, was being able to perform. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
all the way from Europe. We are here live with Mr. My Canadian brother, Mr. Mark Sampson. Brother, welcome. Glad you're here. Dankeschön. Ah, pleasure. Pleasure. Bitte sehr. Really a pleasure to be uh, here, you know, following in the footsteps of, of much greater uh, talents than, than myself. It's such a, an honor to get to uh, hear them and chat with you. And yeah, and, and and to plug the intro, if anyone hasn't heard the other podcast, go listen to the other stuff. It's so good. I really enjoyed your your interviews and, and getting to hear people speak candidly about their, their experience. So it's a pleasure also to be able to join and add my two cents and Hopefully Thank somebody you. find some value in what I have to say. I I pretty much can guarantee that because I'm sure you <laughs> notice that I like to talk to singers about the little subtleties of their technique or what they do that maybe isn't talked about in general public and why they do what they do and how does that work and then also the emotional and psychological side about the shit that singers have to go through to be able to be on those international stages, you know? And and yeah. that was one of the reasons it was exciting to to talk with you because of your experience teaching youngsters and with these schools that you're teaching. But before we get into that, can you kind of just give us a brief history about you? And you're not only uh, uh, heading all of these schools, but you're also an international base yourself. Yeah, life's been very, very, very kind, and I'll never forget to be grateful. Um, the brief story uh, of Mark. Um, well, I think uh, if anyone was looking from outside, they would have known from the get-go uh, that music was the way. And for some reason, it just didn't come clear to me because there's not a single person in my family that has the slightest... Uh, musical tendency. I mean, that's not strictly true. I think there's like one uncle who once played in a band. <laughs> like, really, it's not not a musical family generally. And it was just I, as a five year old, apparently I don't remember this. But my mom tells me I used to um, wake them up, the, my parents up, really early on Sunday, so we could go early to the church, so I could sit next to the organist and watch. And that was just I just wanted to be there and. Um, when, when they're, you know, I finally got to audition for the church choir. That was exciting. And I didn't care about any single other thing that was, that's where I wanted to be. It was singing and just, it was just such a pleasure to have music around me. Uh, when I was, I think it was about 11, I took the frame off my bedroom door so that I could pull the piano bit at a time. We had a big grand upright into my bedroom so I could shove it right at the end of the bed. So the second I woke up, I could just start playing like mm. there was a few signs that maybe i should uh consider music but i honestly didn't know you could do this i didn't know it was a job it was just it was so remote from my family and i grew up in vancouver where um you know uh we have uh, nature uh much more than culture in our uh, or we do yes. have culture but the culture is not a classical music culture um, right Although and they do I, have the Vancouver Opera there now, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a, a great, great place. Um, so I, I, um, yeah, it was it was certainly meant to be, uh, but I, I was too dense to figure it out. So I um, went, uh, uh, you know, science was the thing I seemed good at, and uh, I, I, you know, won a couple national competitions and things, and. Uh, you know, it I seemed, saw it seemed that. like a thing you can't not. I couldn't not finish a math degree. It was sort of this expectation of the family, like, of course you must go and finish like 
this is the equivalent of surely you can't finish school at grade nine like this was just what was to be done anyway while i was there again it should have been obvious i had a stack of papers i was a ta for one of the profs and a stack of papers to grade for you know whatever math geometry course or something and every day i'd just go over to the music building and i would go to the back of the recital hall and i just lay down back there and just listen laying on the floor at the back of the thing or um, go up to the music library where they had endless uh records that i could pull out and play on, on turntables wow. um, and i just sit there with my math papers working through it and and again it's like if anyone's observing like man he just won't get a hint like do music it's what you like but uh i just wouldn't it was only in i finally auditioned for uh the bach, vancouver bach choir and the person who heard me uh, just jumped when I auditioned. Yeah, I said, I'd never auditioned for. I didn't know what to do. I was nervous as could be. They said, "Sing a scale." Practice scale. Ah, uh, wow! So, and how yeah, old were anyways, you? Anyways, I sang. Well, I was probably like that. Was quite a bit older. I was like twenty at this point. I was in university, <laughs> so I I okay. sang in these the church choir. Not done anything. Played piano, and and my piano teacher was this organist, the church organist. I I yanked my parents out of bed for. I negotiated for lessons with her. And uh, so I'd played piano my whole life. And finally, um, at, at uh, around 20, she, my piano teacher passed away. And she had previous to that tried to send me to university to take, um, you know, piano lessons and, and uh, with, a, with a professor at university and go on that track. And I was just like, I don't know, I viewed her as like an extra grandmother. I'm like, I'm not mm. getting a replacement grandmother. That's oh, not how this works. Right. But when she passed away, I really, I didn't want... Uh, to have any other um any any other teachers in my life the thing i wanted to have was um just her and and so i mean it was time to do a different direction and that's where my mom thought i'll go audition for a choir and anyway i sang the guy yanked me over to right away said you need to sing for someone come with me went to ubc and and uh, gary relier was my first teacher if the name's familiar mm-hmm. um his son john is is uh, uh continuing to have a great uh, rolling career and anyway so um i dragged me to him and, and he said you can have a career quit science and do this and i said no i'm going to keep going and finish my degree anyway i did and in the end uh that i i think that was one of the weirdest blessings in disguise i don't think any career day would have ever pitched to me like set up your own opera academies you can maybe transform the way classical music education works uh, for this, Excellent. you need a few things, a, a sense of business, a good understanding of math, so you can manage budgets and make good yes. decisions. And, and then you're going to need to know how to actually sing and play some instruments. And so anyway, so along the path, I, I um, you know, I, I played French horn in the, um, you know, high school band or something, clarinet in grade eight. I picked up a violin because Beethoven played the piano and the violin. So if he did it, I should do it. So I bought myself a violin when I was like 16. So you, you had a very romantic view of all of this, the the musical thing, as as did I growing up as oh, well. Oh, really? Yeah. I fell in love with what Mario Lanza. Mine was, oh, I fell yeah. in love. Oh. When I was 15, I heard Mario Lanza, and that, uh, as you'll read about yeah. in, my, in my book, I'll send you a copy, that... And I'm understating it. That changed my life that moment. And I felt like I was hearing the voice of God. And like you, I was a freak and I did all of these crazy things and I couldn't get enough of it. But not only were you in love with music, but you were in love with math and you even won first place at a physics 
competition? Yeah, so yeah. You had was, you had like, both sides of your brain. You had bilateral function of your brain happening here. It was it was working out. I love that Mary Alonzo was uh, that to me also. I, I oh yeah, my god, I heard him be my my love. love. <laughs> Just. And I love the stories of him where he would like purposely take longer on, on sets and run things extra so that all the extras would, you know, get, get a paid. decent pay. And, <laughs> yeah, a really cool guy. Yeah, that and my, my uncle gave me a CD of Pavarotti when I was, I think, 13. And that pa was also game changing. That was yeah. just. Pavarotti? Like, who, who is that? <laughs> He's this guy. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear about him uh, from time to time if you go through Italy. Uh, oh, he's Italian, uh, Italian guy. He's okay. Italian, indeed, indeed, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, those those were the real, um, just life's Im different. And actually, to one of your previous guests, also Ben Hefner, because uh, he went to uh, UBC. And I remember, actually, to this, this is one of these things that I think is, it was a, a, another pivotal moment, one of these mix of math and music, where there was a sense of logic missing in most singers that were at the school ben hefner was coming to town doing a recital and he welcomed everybody at ubc to come and attend his uh, prep the day before with the pianist rena sharon and so anyone who, who wanted to attend was welcome i was studying math i wasn't studying music i and one other tenor were the only people who thought that's a valuable experience. I should really go check this out. <laughs> Literally, everybody else is, you know, buying tickets. The thing's sold out. He's he's beloved in Vancouver, an incredible voice. This is certainly at, at uh, in the range of his his uh, like real uh, prime, and and uh, uh, I mean, he's still got an amazing voice. And uh, but um, yeah, and, and this was one of these things where I just sat confused, and I'm like, who are you waiting for? I mean, Pavarotti's not going to do this. Ben Hefner is our like Canadian hero. Went to this, exactly uh, uh, place, as he said on his his uh, the the Order of Canada being the you know his he really is a, a person we looked up to and he coincidentally uh, grew up in Dawson Creek, which is a family from there, a tiny tiny town north of BC. Wow, so I was up there a bunch and 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 what a it was such a weird thing to see what are people doing and. I remember sitting in the halls, uh, as I said, I'd be there marking all the time. I made friends and, you know, they'd all say, oh, I'm so busy. I have this Schubert paper I have to write and, and whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but something is wrong. Your teachers have got it wrong. The only thing you need to be doing is voice lessons and go listen to people like this when they're coming to town to tell you, tell yes. you what's what. This is a rare opportunity. So anyway, so that was, that was my start was getting to see some really special people like this. And um, and also being confused, being regularly confused as to why is everyone doing this? Why is everyone in class piano? Why is there this class called uh, what was it? Listening, like listening requirements or something? And they had, they had to listen to classical music. Like I'm sitting up in the library for fun. Just give me the next one. And if you're not doing this, don't do this career. You said earlier, it's a hard, it's a hard psychological journey. It is. Do it because you must. Yeah. Do it because you can't not. Don't do it because, like, well, I went to class and they said I probably should. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. And what you were describing about the Ben Hepner rehearsal, I am totally down with, with your, not a theory, but your understanding of that. That is more important than the actual concert. Absolutely. 
It's like Absolutely. I, I also tell my students, go find whoever your idol is, but find recordings or live performances when they were sick. Yeah, yeah. Because there you're going to find out what they really did instead of what Absolutely. was wor working all the time. So yeah, yeah. There, are, there are, we were talking about Pavarotti, uh, there are some recordings of him where you can see him having to adjust when he's sick and what he's yeah. doing. And you know who else? Freddie Mercury. Really? You know, from Queen, right? From yeah, Queen. Yeah, of course, of course. How the hell did he do that with that extension, yeah. mixing, mixing that voice up and down? Yeah, yeah. And then you could hear what he relied on. Of course, at this point, he had AIDS, and he was really struggling with the physical strength. But yeah. you can you can hear the mechanism and the procedure that he was using to be able to connect to that upper voice. And so I totally encourage... I can't believe that people had the the opportunity to be in the presence of Ben Heppner in a rehearsal, and they yeah. didn't go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually, speaking of Freddie Mercury, that's a nice tangent. Um, I think it was uh, Berlin Opera Academy 2019. Um, the the producer and director of Live Aid uh, applied to teach with us. And the funny thing is, I just did, it was a letter that came in the mail. I put it on my desk and I looked at it and I just kind of browsed through it. And I remember seeing uh, AVA, Academy of Vocal Arts. And I went, oh, well, that's interesting. And I just ignored somehow the rest of it when, you know, lots of things come in all the time. I didn't really notice. Anyway, reached out to a friend at AVA who's <clears throat> um, been teaching there a while and, and uh, actually was one of the people I set up a, a school with. And, well. and explain to and, the folks out there what AVA is. Academy of Vocal Arts is one of the top uh, opera schools, training schools, sort of a finishing school. When you finish your master's, you'll go there. It's tuition paid. It's uh, filled with phenomenal uh, staff and faculty. Uh, I definitely feel like I'm plugging them, but they're actually going to host our, our auditions <laughs> later. So I don't mind doing that. Okay. Little, spread the love. Um, but uh, yeah, no, they great place uh, uh to be and and so i reached out it's it's quite a, a thing to have talked there and so i was interested sometimes people exaggerate the resumes so i wanted to just see is this, think. Is this a little more <laughs> accurate uh so anyway so i reached out and said, oh, that's probably before my time when, when this person was there but yeah, it could have been anyway i go back and i read the letter and then i saw this director and producer of live aid seems unlikely let me look uh -huh. at oh, vincent scarza it's the guy he produced and directed the entire uh, event wow and after this he went and he was a, a director in hollywood shooting sort of eh, not big movies but like i don't know csi somewhere um and anyway he retired out of that he'd moved back to italy but he was excited to get back into opera where he started before he went and became, you know, a Hollywood director and worked with wow. like crazy things. So he came and it was wonderful to hear the feedback he had because I thought what a rare opportunity to help opera sort of move forward uh, is to actually get some feedback with like, where's Hollywood at? What, what's, what's, at, what's important there? And you think today uh, for young singers, audition videos are the be all end all. That's how you get, I mean, right. young singers for everybody. It's how you now get agents to listen to you. So why not figure out how to do that, right? From someone who knows. 
And uh, so anyway, we brought him in to have him work with with people. And it was an interesting treat to have him sort of look at like, well, what are standard audition videos look like? Just someone who used to be in it and now is back. And it's like, why are we looking at the pianist the whole time? Oh, well, there's a, a requirement for this competition that the pianist has to be in frame. Well, that's mm. not Let's do an establishing shot and then push in so I can actually right. see the face of the person I'm interested in the emotions of. Let me let me join a journey with you. This is obvious. Anyway, so we did a few things like this that was I just thought, oh, what a what a treat and, and what a, I think a very necessary uh, thing for for opera general. But anyway, so that's the Freddie Mercury twist. I like that you brought. I him. love it, and I and I love Freddie Mercury's voice. I had the opportunity. Somebody sent me this file. And in the file was the mama just killed a man. And that whole uh, that whole song that was so famous, right? The Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. And in it were every part separated. So you could hear just his voice wow. alone. And just to study what he did. And he used uh, in that transition up into the upper register a lot of vocal fry to help him connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was really fascinating. I love to study. Uh, when I lost my voice, I was studying a lot the uh, like the black gospel singers because yeah, I, yeah. I perceived what they were doing was so similar to opera with all of the riffs that they did and how similar oh, yeah. that, is, that is to runs. But they did it intuitively and freely. And so... Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyhow, I, I love to break outside of the box of what is conventional opera, because I think a lot of times opera singers become so indoctrinated into a left brain perception of technique that they forget there's a broader perspective here about the freedom of, of sound and connecting to your soul and heart. And but I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think that's, you know what, if I could speak to that, then if you cite the math thing to say the left brain bit, I think this, uh, you know, if there's a valuable thing to take forward from technique, uh, I think as a particularly analytical person, um, I can be first in line to champion. That's not going to take you to the finish line. At the end of the day, that creative right brain side has to, has to be a part of what you're actually yeah. doing. Um, it's a so partnership, it. right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I think it's super, I, I've had a really, a really interesting experience. This was some great coaches and teachers, um, you know, people with significant uh, names uh, wanting to teach. And I just want to check sort of what's your, what's your technique? What's your ideas of breathing? And what do you think here? And mm -hmm. it's amazing how many times um, you can see a, a, a marriage of, of left and right brain. Where, mm. for example, they'll say, "Okay, when when I um, when I sing, every part of my rib cage, my stomach, everything just expands the whole time," and I'm like, "But physics, like, doesn't that create a massive vacuum? And then you have other, like, do you have an extra lung, like a cow with four yeah. stomachs? But how does this work? But you know, um, instead of arguing, that, the point isn't that. The point is they feel that." That's and, their perception. And it's super helpful then to like, okay, mm -hmm. do you mind if I stick my hands on you and see what's happening? You go, oh, okay. It is slightly slowly collapsing, but very evenly, no point mm -hmm. that's really obvious. Um, mm -hmm. But that idea of like, I have a fundamental concrete idea of what I'm going to do and I'm going to practice this in a sort of structured way. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you also need creativity to, to talk about what's happening and, you know, being 
strictly anatomical yeah is not is not the thread that ties all the great singers together it's not that they all had perfect left-brained understandings mm -hmm. of what yeah, as as any listen through a series of uh, master classes will show. <laughs> exactly, I, uh, and there's an intuitive sense that, in my experience, that the the really great singers have had watching them, like one of my mentors and teachers. I'm sure you heard me talk about was De Stefano, and yeah, he yeah. Did, he showed me his rib cage, which was yeah. massive with with what he was doing, yeah. but. I believe, and you can tell me what you think about it because you're the frickin' math genius here, not me, that there is a higher intelligence on the right brain. And there is information there. I'll give you an example that uh, I've had so many singers come, opera singers, pop singers, whatever. I can't sing the high note. They'll tell me. Can't get the high note. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. not only can you do that high note, but you're going to do that high note within five minutes. And they're like, yeah. no, that's not possible. And I said, but you have to be courageous. And you yeah. have to be, because why? They're looking at it from a left brain perspective and technique, which of course yeah. you have to do. That's that's the start, right? You have to be 100%. able to analyze. Yeah. And I'll say something to the virtually this premise. Do you remember when you were four years old on a playground and you heard a fire truck go by? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> what did that fire truck sound like? <laughs> so they'll do that, and I'm like, okay. Were you thinking about breath support right there? <laughs> well, what do you mean? No, I was doing a fire truck. Because you went really, really long without breathing, and you went yeah. right through the passaggio, and you went up to a high D natural, and you're telling me you're having the, uh, trouble on La Fleur singing the B flat at the end of the Carmen aria? Yeah, exactly. And so then we sing that B flat in the end of uh, the Carmen aria as a fire truck instead of as an opera singer. And then guess what happens? You tap into a different intelligence. Totally. And then you use your left brain to freaking analyze the shit out of that. Yeah, exactly. Remember <laughs> what, what do you think? How to apply it later? That's it's. You know what? I've been through the same experience loads of time. Absolutely. As soon as you said the fire truck, I'm like, there it is, the siren. Abs. It's amazing how when you get out of your own way, there's there's so many things that just work. Um, but yeah, and then let's put it back together. I like also what you said, a higher intelligence. It is something, you know, it's not, there is a way to get there and it, and it's, 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 yeah, it's, a, it's, a if, it, if it didn't require a higher intelligence, everybody could do it. Uh, everybody would quickly figure out how to put one or two together, but instead it does often require, you know, somebody to point you in the right direction and, and also to take the parts of it that are right, the parts of it that aren't, to go like that. There we're you go. Save that. We're not going to save that. Yes. Um, yeah. It's like a baby's cry. If you're in the opera house Absolutely. and a baby starts to cry, who do you hear? Is a baby thinking about singing loud? No, but yeah. there's a frequency <laughs> there and an intuitive quality of frequency that that yeah. demands attention. And Absolutely. so that to me is math. There is a mathematical yeah. equation with what that with what all babies do. The number yeah. one gets somebody's attention 
And yep. he, as humans, we all want to pay attention to that. It's powerful. They can do it very long periods of time and they don't freaking get tired. And yep. you're like, what that is for me, the foundation of singing. It's creating yep. sound that's free, unencumbered by anything, and you're not hurting your instrument. And it's powerful. But to say, yep. hey, I just want to sing like a baby, well, it's ugly, so you can't do that. But you don't throw the yep. baby out with the bathwater. Yep. One of my uh, one of my favorite uh, teachers we've had over the years, Ricardo Tamura, um, a nice uh, uh, teacher we had at the academy, he, um, I remember we had a, a pianist accompanying him uh, from Juilliard. And I, I, I think everybody is comfortable. There's no need to, to hide names in this because the story is great. And it was just, he basically would say, can I please have all the students at the beginning? Because I'd like to basically tell them all some of the same stuff I'm going to tell everybody. And very similar exactly to the baby bit. And um, the the pianist uh, from Julia, wonderful, wonderful coach accompanying him, would be like, you know, it's pretty weird. I've listened, I played a lot of his lessons now. I could definitely give a lesson of what he has to say. He works the same thing with everybody, which yes. is definitely not the high <laughs> ideal of teaching. You know, you should be adapting to the individual. <laughs> and yet, for absolutely, he's like, but it works. I don't know what to say. It works every People walk out of there much greater figuring out, okay, you got to have a baby who really wants something right now. <laughs> and then you can add more whatever you want to color it in. And add exactly. Without without that little one, um, which, which I, I'm particularly acquainted with. I happen to have just celebrated uh, my son's one-year-old birthday. Woo, congrats. Two days ago, two days ago so. Um, so yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting used to those baby cries and going, that is resonant. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, years yeah, years ago, I snuck in. I was singing at City Opera, and I snuck into the Met, uh, actually into the theater. We could get into the Met for lunch and all that stuff for free, but I snuck into the theater, and they were rehearsing Tosca with Pavarotti, and I'm like, well, he's not going to sing. But like you were talking about with Ben Heppner, the rehearsal, that's what I wanted to see. Yeah. Well, Pavarotti steps on the stage. In the beginning of, of Tosca, there's, you know, the gibbering lines. And then he does the Dami Colori before his Recondita Armonia. And that yeah. Dami Colori, he actually sang it, but he was just talk singing it. And it went boom to the yeah. back of that theater. And you could hear all the other opera singers on the stage, but Pavarotti was like right in front of me. And it had that baby's cry element to it. 100%. 100%. So it's also I'm, interesting. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go right ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it's really interesting that that's also something that's sometimes skipped over. Um, you know, that there's there's just some fundamentals that a lot of people, I think this would be the, the summary that surprised me the most. There's a lot of fundamentals in opera education uh, that for some reason are just missed. Uh, and, and babies cry a bit explaining what support is uh the number of times the, the number of years i had less more support more support what do you, what do you okay I'll, yeah is this <clears> the <throat> thing you want what's the and as soon as you get a teacher that actually understands this reasonably well it's what you said it takes five minutes maybe maybe 20 if somebody's you know it's a yes. slow going but at most never mind the sort of guru stay with me for the next five years and i will lead you in the path where one day like this yes you know. because anyway, it's an it's, over 
I think it's an oversimplification. They'll say support, support, and then they're going to push on your abs and say, here, give more here. Well, then you isolate the abdominal muscles and you're using all this energy just for that. When yeah. you're doing the baby's cry and you analyze it, it's a whole body experience. It isn't totally. one thing, totally. it's multiple things simultaneously. Yeah. So it's such a kick for me to watch a student that could go maybe 30 seconds holding a note and then they yeah. do the siren or the baby's cry and they're going almost two minutes holding a note. That is just <clears throat> a mind-blowing experience. And then when you say, how are you doing that as opposed to supporting? I yeah. don't know. And I'm like, now we're going to engage the left brain and figure out what the hell you're doing. It sounds it sounds like you've had, I, I, I'm really happy to hear it. It sounds like... Uh... You know the fundamentals are great teaching um but i'm curious what your transition was like into teaching you know starting starting from the stage i know a lot of people not everybody likes that transition not everybody wants wants to teach not everyone has the gift for it but it sounds like something you also share a passion for well i ne i never transitioned even when i was in high school okay. i was i was already teaching other people right oh so really all it was a part of my composing they're like how did you compose you never studied the piano how did you do that well i just sat at the piano and started writing songs and and then other singers in choir in school would say well how are you doing that and i would so even in early in my career before i lost my voice i was teaching then cool. uh how to sing until i quote lost my voice with the uh, spasmodic dysphonia and yeah, yeah. that here i was the teacher singer guy and super famous sort of in my community and then i went from up there to the bottom of the barrel and it's yeah, like that's a, it's a hard transition doctor heal heal thyself right and i was <laughs> like i don't have any idea what i'm doing all i know yeah. all i know is that i know that this is what i'm supposed to do yeah. Like you sitting yeah. in the back of the theater, just listening with your degrees in mathematics and science, <laughs> being super smart. But there was a call in your soul, I believe, that was 100%. calling you, pushing you towards that. And it's... I tell singers, if you don't have that, do not try to have a singing career. I remember one of the one of the things this is. Uh, yeah, here's here's the 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 most solid i've never heard these numbers said uh and the reason i have these numbers is because apparently i need a better hobby <laughs> i remember that was the year i started berlin opera academy where um i wanted to, to find out what the profile of teachers looked like in the us and canada and you know and send messages to people who'd be interested say hey i'm starting this thing whatever we went through and and, and looked at every every teacher that I could find at any university, conservatory, or college in the US or Canada. And uh, not private ones, just just at, at those, those institutions. Sure. And in doing this, I came into a shocking, shocking, shocking number. I remember if I go back to UBC days, I'd sit in, you know, as the math person, but I joined opera workshops and things and talks. And anyway, that's one guy giving a talk and he said, look left, look right. One of you might not make it. And like, <laughs> I think back now, like, uh, there's me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one more stayed in opera for a while. Um, but 
the crazy thing is that's still just the size of a classroom. That's 30 people. So here's the crazy math. So there's of this list that I went through and counted you and the dear, wonderful, the dearest listener. You can do this yourself. I, again, suggest better. Mm -hmm. Bring there you go. To verify. I had more than 5,000 people on this list. So if we just do some basic, basic arithmetic, we say, okay, well, there's 5,000 teachers just at universities, never mind private teachers, of which there's at least many. But we take those people and we say, okay, what's the average size of a studio? Let's say the average teacher has, say, 20 students. We've got 5,000 times 20. So we have 100,000 people studying right now. Okay, wow. okay. But now let's do some more. The, we're not looking at just students when you think about who's what are the job opportunities out there. We think a lot of people have graduated. There, there's a couple of batches out there trying to make it go. So mm -hmm. let's multiply that by two or three. Say there's a couple of graduation classes on the market. Not everybody's 100%, but just to look at the numbers roughly. So we're at now two, 300,000 people that have graduated from university and are thinking of saying. Now let's add in those private teachers and, and their students. And okay, we're getting closer to half a million. And now let's let's look at the other side of the coin. What are the job opportunities? Well, thanks yes. to Opera Base, you can actually look at how many performances there are in a year. 1,800 performances in mm -hmm. the United States, Canada, and all the rest of North America, 1,800. But that's not how many jobs there are. So let's divide it by the average run in North America, which say the average show has four to six shows. Not obviously not at the mat in the big house, but you know, right. on average. Right. So okay, so we take our eighteen hundred divided by four or six, and we're at three hundred or four hundred fifty performances in that range. But of course, now we have the next problem of for these poor almost half million folks. How many of those? Four hundred-ish opera houses are hiring new people, and how many are just—it's the same cycle. Recirculating at different mm -hmm. houses, which that's how you make a career. So there's not even actually even the four hundred opportunities. Maybe twenty percent of them are hiring somebody new. So great, now you're down to like eighty, sixty, mm -hmm. um, for half a million people. This is this is not a lot of job. This is a, a lottery ticket, and the thing. For anybody listening that has had the privilege of singing on stage uh, in, in any professional capacity, like appreciate that. It's a, it, like I don't I don't think because I never heard any of these numbers, I didn't realize what a wild treat it is. How many people go down this path thinking maybe and not having the opportunity to to do that. And it was also the reason why when I stumbled to Germany, the numbers there are wildly different. Instead of 1,800 performances, there's 9,000 performances. Yes, right. Countries. Instead of 5,000 teachers, there's three to 4,000 students because they have these exclusive tuition paid mm -hmm. um, schools. Uh, so it's a totally different market where you actually do have a chance to, to you know, to succeed. And, and, and then the lottery ticket's a lot better. You're not hoping for, you know, a tiny roll of Barbarina in, in a house, you might actually, you know, have have the opportunity to get the unthing of Hatag, the beginner contract where you can sing lead roles for two years. Right. And uh, so that was that was the big uh, Germany thing where it was like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> now that I've looked at the numbers, I think I'd like to uh, to help people get here and to to stick around. Um, but it, it also gave me such a deal of respect and to tie it back exactly what you said. If don't do this uh, because you think you might want to do it, do it because you can't not do it because your soul calls you to mm -hmm. it. And what was yes. interesting for me, to be honest, um, to your statement, absolutely. There's something, you know, I just can't live without music. It's it's just, yes. 
essential. Um, but I wouldn't say I ever had a calling to perform. But with piano, I was wildly shy. With composing, I mm-hmm. I apologize to a girlfriend long ago. She once criticized the composition, and I'm like, that's it. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> no, um, I it was so sensitive and so personal. I, I was I just couldn't couldn't perform. And on singing, it was kind of the opposite. I was like, well, I'm being hired for the level I'm clearly competent for. So what's to worry about? They clearly would like to pay for what I am. I had no stage fright whatsoever, almost to a point where it's like, well, this is maybe not what I should be doing. Because it's Amazing. not that edge of excitement. Mm. Instead, the thing that really clicked it on, that really turned it on was was building these academies where I felt really like, I, and I, as I said, I never could have imagined. It was like, this is where my soul is engaged. Mm, this is where. There you go. Dead honest. Uh, of, I would love to use my son as the excuse. My my beloved partner is uh, caring for him right now because we just had our application, our early application deadline. And in order, I, I love it so much. I literally, I've just slept four hours a night for the last four nights so that I can go through casting um, with the team and and you know it's i just love it you can't make me stop this it's so i just work with no end and that's that's the the really where i can feel a different level of engagement and a different level of response that's where for me you know as a singer as i say many of the guests i look up to so much the careers they have i uh i didn't sing in the biggest 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 houses mm-hmm. um but those biggest 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 houses are now in touch every leads school uh out there uh, has reached out in different capacities saying we'd like to partner with you we'd like you to become our summer thing for just us and wow and thank you very much can you know i don't want to <laughs> Yeah, can you tell us about your Berlin Opera Academy that you you started? Sure. What's that all about? It was basically just a reflection of what I wish I had as a singer. It was just mm. having the ability to take a fresh look uh, from an external perspective. I did everything backwards. You know, I did I I didn't study uh, singing first, like most people on the path did. Yes. I started with math. I then coincidentally, thanks to a reasonable amount of talent, talent, got hired at some very small local stuff directly. I then thought, oh, I should probably study more. I did a young artist program. I then thought I really should do this better. I went and did a bachelor's later and then a, a master's in pedagogy. I did everything in the wrong order. But part of it was also along the way, I also wanted to just build schools that, that were that were what I wanted. So the very first thing in Vancouver was I, I made a co-op where we just all paid equally and, and would fly out teachers we really respected so that, you know, we got to work with some special people. And building from that, I then, um, one of the people uh, that I coincidentally worked with as a, <laughs> I said, there's a tiny festival that said, you know, do you want to come sing Bartolo? And I said, well, only if I'm getting paid. And, um, I was very young at the time and more focused on, on my worth instead of really thinking yes. it's a great learning experience. I should focus on that. Anyway, and they said, well, we don't have money for the Bartolo, but we do have money for an assistant director. You want to be an assistant director? All right, I'll do both. That's fine. <laughs> so the director of the show <clears throat> ended up being um, uh, a colleague I worked with for a while, and I set up an academy uh, with him in Weimar. And then uh, after a year, I went to continue doing the singing thing. And having then built two uh, at this time, I, I I passed the Vancouver one off to the a, a teacher from ABA, Luke Hausner, that um, I think it's still running it to this day. I think it grew into four cities and 
Anyway, Wonderful. so he's doing that. The, the colleague in Weimar is still doing the same thing I set up years ago. And after then singing for a while, I had a reporter ask, what is a role that you haven't sung that you really would love to still sing? I thought and I thought. And I thought, oh, no, I think I've sung everything I wanted to. Wow. I just did all the, you know, you have your list. And I thought, that's not good. I should have things that later I realized, actually, I want to sing Javert in Les Miserables. Um, but uh, I hadn't yet branched into to musical. I did a little That's later. wonderful. But anyway, so, um, but it, it was a point where I thought it was, it clued mm. in me that it was maybe time for a shift, that it, there wasn't this, I need to do this. Um, but there was a sense of, I need to make classical music education make sense for me. I, mm -hmm. I felt so much, I don't want to criticize institutions as they are. I know it's very challenging to make changes within big institutions that are year round. It's hard to say, you know what, we should do it differently. Um, but I felt the opportunity to do that. And I coincidentally had a few friends that were like intendant for 20 years and stepping down our general music director and stepping down and just like, I don't want to do this. And so after six months, I'd say, how's the couch? Do you feel like doing something? Ah, and, wise yeah, guy. Like yes. And at the same time, a slew of friends all had basically after singing with me gone, had their Met debuts. And I thought, okay, well, you're free in the summer. Come on out. Let's do something. And the things I wanted to provide, the things I thought were valuable then was I thought I'd always wanted to as a young singer sing for someone who's actually hiring don't give me this this person who 30 years ago maybe could whatever i don't know let me mm -hmm. sing right now for a person who spent the last 20 years actually making the decision and hear it from the horse's mouth uh, so that was that was our our first conductors was, was people like that. wow bravo and i also wanted i know as a young singer i loved my teachers and what they did teach was great lots of respect but i also wanted that thing of like but are, does that work now? And like singing, you know, when you're older, you have a better sense of like good technique is good technique. Pavarotti's getting hired in every age, always, no matter what. Yes. Uh, but when you're younger, it's a little bit like, I just want the verification that what you're saying is still current and accurate. And I especially noticed it lacking sometimes when it came to how to audition or, you know, how to get out there. That does change. The world does mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. out there. So I was excited to have people learn from teachers who were their age who were in their mm. demographic who were just a little farther along the spectrum yes. but not at the like let me hear uh the stories of yesteryear that said it it was only because it was a summer academy if it was a year-round institution i would not do the same thing i think it is extremely valuable to have teachers that have spent loads of time teaching you learn to slow down to do things in bite-sized ch chunks that are actually going to land right, experience right. is so valuable yes but for a one-month burst of give me some info oh my gosh yeah. please just get me people who are on the big stages so the luxury yes. of berlin having Komische Oper, Staatsoper, Deutsche Oper Berlin all next door right and there friends and all of them be like yes. come on over and show these people stuff and the difference from how much they paid attention i remember we had Etienne Dupuy one time um and his wife and Nicole Carr also amazing career. The two of them are privileged to to, to know as, as you know friends or acquaintances. And they were so they were teaching. Uh, she she was actually in the hall holding the kids. And nobody the, the students didn't even recognize like oh this is quite a big star you're you're passing by. But anyway, Etienne had sung uh, Posa 
in Don Carlo at Deutsche Oper Berlin the night before, and they'd all gone and seen him. And oh my gosh, were they hanging on his every word. And it was things like that, but I thought, okay, this is a neat, this is a neat tool to get a different kind of have the message land. So that's where it started, was just trying to provide those things, which I felt um, people needed. I think now it's changed a little. Um, I think that the shift for me um, basically turned from the, the crazy, I don't know what, I mean, maybe it's working hard, getting lucky, being in Berlin with so many great uh, houses. I don't know what mm -hmm. it was, for whatever mm -hmm. reason, the Academy was wildly successful. And within our first, in our entering our third year, we had more applications according to Yap Tracker than Marilla and Academy of the West, which I look up to. They are way, they're yes. amazing. We're not in the, the same, uh, you know, a league of being able to, to have um, full support for all, all participants and things. These are things, you know, we aspire to and we're working uh, sure. just to find sponsors, and, you know, but they're great places. And it was like, well, okay, we've done something right. There's something right to the mix Amazing. that people are really responding to for us to move like this. And then there came a sense of responsibility of going, okay, wait a second. We're getting great singers, um, lots of, of really good people. And I, 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 I mean that from my math side, I have to validate the statement, not just my feeling. We had agents, the chorus agent we'd have them sing for would give his card to uh, a third to a half of the singers saying, I can get work for you. You just got to speak German. I'll call you in six months if you understand what I'm saying on the phone. You got a job. Um, the solo agents picked up a number of people, and uh, we just did a a, a thing on an ad series on Instagram and Facebook, um, highlighting just some of the alumni who are all at you know pick your big house. They're they're singing great places, and I realized, okay, wait a second. I built this thing because I wanted education to be different. It seems to be working. And in particular, a bunch of people are now going on stage. I have a chance to actually shape the future of opera, as cliche wow. as that sounds. It's, it's like a lot of people are actually going and doing the thing. So what do I want opera to look like? As I, I'm I'm at the just that special point where they're as old enough and and able enough to be disciplined to really like pick up gems and take them off and still young enough to be flexible that they really want to learn and they're really curious and it's about the last point of this the highest level of talent and the before they hit the mm. i know what i'm doing leave me alone yeah um which is the, you know there's reasons for that too yes but, different stages so this felt like exactly exactly so this felt like there's a spot here where i can actually shape opera what do i want to shape it so actually i'd love to turn it i'd love to see what your answer to this is if i may what if if you had the ability to just say, okay, this is one thing I just need to be better in opera. I want it to improve in the following way or shift. What would you what would you wish for a graduating class of of uh, young singers to go out and do differently? Acting. They got to make it. Answer. They got to make it more entertaining, right? Instead of just standing there and relying. I want the great voices still. It drives yeah, yeah. me crazy that some places are using microphones, right? It's not Absolutely. a Broadway. It, no. <laughs> I, I love Broadway. I'd love to sing on Broadway stuff. But no, have the great instruments, but actually yeah. tell a story. Yeah. Be compelling with the visual uh, presentation, you know? 
Well, I have to say you're you're a lot. I wish I had your alacrity. The speed with which you arrived at that was not mine. It was only slowly thinking. I was like, what do I need to improve in acting? Hundred percent. That mm -hmm. was where I landed when I thought, where what you does know, opera need to go? Yeah, yeah go years ahead. ago, early in my career, I was when San Diego Opera had an apprentice program with Tito Capobianco. I was in the very last school, and I was the youngest one, and I had the opportunity to work with Lee Strausberg, who oh, wow. was like the teacher of so many great actors, right? And his big thing was make it real. Don't act. Feel. Yeah. And a yep. lot of times there is this kind of blocked look of opera singers, and they're so, my voice is so great that all I have to do is sing. And I'm like, well, you better be freaking Pavarotti then if you're, if yeah, yeah. you have, if you have that attitude but even then Absolutely. and this is what i loved about placido domingo so much is that he embraced totally. the totality of musicianship acting drama the whole package and i think in general for me i would like to see in that in that sense embrace broadway a little bit in in the sense of, of the acting part of it and the staging part Absolutely. of it too yeah yeah so, I'm, 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 you, the, the, oh man, I, you said so many things there that I really love. I, I feel a hundred percent that's exactly it. I think I, I definitely don't lay any blame at uh, students' feet or even institutions. That's what I meant. It's really hard to shift to university and say, actually, we figured out what we need is to make our, our program like 60% singing, 40% acting. And I don't think anyone needs, uh, counterpoint or you know as a pianist as a passionate desperate lover of the history of every detail of every musician that's not what you need i think singing needs to be looked at more as a trade school as to learn mm -hmm. how to do the thing not how to write a wonderful paper about the thing <laughs> yeah well brother i gotta run uh yeah, but thank good. you so much again uh what an, what an honor and don't forget to send me your address and i'll send you the book i will i will Right. And I look, for, I really look forward to reading it. Thanks, Daniel, so Thanks. much. And if you have any singers along your path that you think would be good on the show, please send them my way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Do you have any particular um, things, like, um, just to get, so I can uh, give the right people? What sort of, what is your, just yeah, exciting, engaging storytellers or people yeah, on the spiritual? Anything. But usually anything. if they've had troubles, <laughs> it's more exciting. And now they're successful, right? But okay. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of men, so I'm trying to get more women now. Sure. Uh, I just had Leah Hawkins on. I don't know if you know her, but she's starring in The X at the Met right now, The Life of cool. Malcolm X. Uh, and... Yeah. You know, I have a really good singer for you. I'll, see, I'll, I'll reach out. And okay. See, I think. Wonderful. Good so, story. Anyhow. All right, Daniel. All right, brother. God bless. Thanks again. Ciao. Ah!